some words of introduction. Unfortunately, I don't so hard to dive into a chapter, but also have time for an intro. But I do want to give you a little bit of an intro so that you understand the context and the, the beauty of the Psalms. Um, and I, I, will, I will share with you a quote that I've shared many times to our people here before. Some of you who have heard me preach on the Psalms or Pastor Jeff, um, you have heard some of these things before. But I want to share with you one of my favorite quotes. It's by an author named G.K. Chesterton, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, um, uh, a, a, a spiritual author. And one of the lines that he says that has always stayed in my mind when I read the Psalms is this, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. So those who are fairly new to our church, you may have never heard me share that quote before, but I have many times to our congregation because that's how I feel about the Psalms. Let your religion be less of a theory, you know, out there some some dogmatic doctrinal treatise. Let not your relationship just be about commands and 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 doing. Um, let it be not just theoretical. Let it be practical. Let it be a love affair. And what does that mean? Well, when you look at the Psalms, as many of you who have been Christians for a while or gone to church or been in Sunday schools or heard podcasts and sermons, you have seen a wide array array of emotions and thoughts and feelings in the Psalms, don't you? John Calvin says it is the anatomy of the soul. It is kind of all that we go through in life, the Psalms kind of have the breadth of joy, sadness, despair, frustration. It is the psalmist being honest with God. C.H. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the Psalms, calls it the treasury. The treasury. There are treasures in there to be found and to be dug up. And so I wanted to have you think about that as we begin. Let's pray. And I'm going to try to do justice to some extent to Psalm 1 as an intro. Pastor Jeff will continue in uh, chapter 3 and then some other uh, chapters that we have selected before we finish this series in September. So would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, we thank You for this morning for gathering us today. Lord, we love You so much that You have given us the freedom to worship, to be here, to have copies of Your Word, to sit around it, to be warmed by its fire and light to us. And Lord, my prayer for my own heart is always that You might give me a deeper glimpse, that You would give my children a deeper glimpse and vision of You and Your Son. And Lord, I do pray that even through uh, this psalm, Psalm 1, you may give us eyes to see Jesus, and it is in His name that we pray. Amen. My um, prayer is that you will be deeply rooted in the Lord. James was a book that talked a lot about tribulations and trials, and do you remember I shared with you trouble will come into your life? And so we pray for you to be deeply rooted in God and His love through His Word no matter what comes your way. 
And the Psalms are in many ways a prayer book. Do you understand when you read the Psalms? It's all uh, David or other psalmists praying, isn't it? But do you also recognize that it's a song book? It's a prayer book and a song book. A prayer book and a hymn book for the Old Testament people of God and many of the New Testament people of God. And in order to lead us to understand the prayers that are coming, I want you to think about prayer for a minute. This is not a prayer, Psalm 1. We actually don't know exactly who the author is. It's not uh, necessarily a Psalm of David. But prayer is a dialogue. Prayer isn't just us guessing who God is and what God's thoughts and desires are and us just throwing something out there. Now, there are times when we prayed like that. You know, you shoot a flare. Hey, is anybody out there? If you hear me, please help me. Or, have you ever done this when you've gone to the ocean? I've done it a couple times. You find a bottle. You put a little note inside. And you throw it as far as you can. And you hope someone will find it. Or maybe it'll come back to shore with a, with a response. That is not prayer. Prayer, as the Psalms describe it, is a dialogue that requires you to hear first before you speak. It requires you to respond to God's voice. It requires us to hear the Lord's Word first so that we can then rightly pray His thoughts, His will, His desires, and our supplications in accordance to that. And so I wanted to share that with you, why Psalm 1 is what it is. It's kind of a preparation for the prayer book and the song book and the way to pray. It's giving us a glimpse of how we are to be, how we are described according to God's Word to be holy people. Happy people. And so we'll dive deeper into that. So I said I had to give you a little bit of an intro. Most of the Psalms, as you know, were written by David, but not all of them. Some of them were written by his choir leaders in Jerusalem. And that's why you hear names like Asaph, Jeduthun, Ethan, and others appearing in the Psalms as choir masters, the royal choir masters of the palace. One or two... Uh, were written by Moses, Psalm 90, one of my favorites. I've preached on that here before. And uh, some by King Solomon, the son of David. And there are several Psalms whose authors that we don't know, like this one, I believe. But the whole book is a collection that's been put together by the ancient Hebrews, the people of God, that we might understand what the people of God have been through and how they've been redeemed, and how they can respond to God with joy and thanksgiving. Now, one of the things that you might not know is that the Psalms are divided into five books. You probably know that much. But did you know that they are similar in theme to the five first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch? In other words, they correspond to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And I don't have time to go deeper into this today. But the first book of Psalms ends with Psalm 41. And it echoes the themes of Genesis. An introduction to human life and a revelation of the needs of the human heart. And it is a book of foundations. 
The second book of Psalms begins with Psalm 42 and runs through Psalm 72, and that corresponds to the book of Exodus. And that is a book about redemption, the story of God moving throughout history of His people to change and redeem people and to save them from themselves. And so it goes on. I'll, I'll let Pastor Jeff, when you go into certain of those sections, to continue explaining that. But there is an echoing of the Pentateuch as you look at Psalms. And so Psalm 1 is what I mentioned, um, echoing parts of Genesis and the introduction to human life and the revelation of the needs, needs of the human heart. So this chapter introduces the whole collection, but especially... Uh, that first book, the book of Genesis, and it describes the wicked and the righteous. Psalm 1 describes the wicked and the righteous. Now I want you to, to listen and think carefully with me of what comes to mind when you think about the wicked. Is it the dope pusher? <laughs> uh, the robber? Or could it simply be People who sit in the pews and don't have their hearts set on God. The ungodly who are camouflaged in speech. So when the Psalms talk about the wicked, it's not necessarily talking about murderers or uh, people who are wicked like that because we think of people like that, but it actually means those who have little or no time for God in life someone who has ruled God out of their affairs and um, their thinking, even though God is the greatest one who should make have the central place in our lives. Is that what you're like? God has a quarter. God has a day. God has a section. God has a room in your house. And... To eliminate God from your thinking in your life is to be wicked. It's to be ungodly. And in contrast, what the psalmist does is the God-centered life is set before us. So I want to give you some points for us to go through today as we look at Psalm 1. So I've given you a little bit of an intro that's just to whet your appetite. I know many of you have read the Psalms and some of you just open your Bibles and it falls into the Psalms, doesn't it? Somewhere there in the center. And so you're just familiar with many of the Psalms. I am looking forward one day to preaching on the shortest Psalm. And maybe on that day we'll get out early. Because <laughs> Psalm 117 is extremely short but filled with treasures there too as Spurgeon talks about. So let me give you some key thoughts and points, okay, for us to kind of run through this fairly quickly. It is a significant comparison and contrast of two pathways to life and their outcomes. And that's why I mentioned about the ungodly, which by the way, could be us. It's not the murderer out there. Could be us. As we have a self-centered life instead of a God-centered life. And the contrast is the wicked and the righteous or the godly. So let me give you several things that the psalm shows us. First, I want you to think about the word despise. Those who reject the Lord and despise the Lord's word. 
two, the word delight. Those who receive the Lord and delight in His Word. Thirdly, I want to tell you how critical this is. There is a criticalness to this before we enter the rest of the book of Psalms and the collection of prayers and the collection of songs. You have to think about this as you learn how to pray. Not just God, I don't want to hear you, hear me first. That is wrong. There is a criticalness to ungodliness that you need to understand. Fourthly, how do we do it? How do we delight in the Lord? How do we be this kind of godly, righteous person? And fifthly, I just want to speak honestly with you about a couple of very, very important applications. So let's dive in there. Those who despise God's Word. So the blessed man. By the way, that blessed, that word blessed means happy, right? Jeff has talked about the Greek word makarios before. The word blessed doesn't just mean good, happy. It really means totally fulfilled, totally satisfied, utmost satisfaction and fulfillment. It is the blessed man that is compared and contrasted by what he doesn't do and by by what he does do. And I want to, just for the sake of being able to get through this, show you that there's a, a, a spiraling downward that's mentioned here in the way that the psalmist uses his words. Notice he uses the words walks, stands, and sits. You ever remember that when you read Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So those who despise the Lord and reject His Word are really people that I described last week who don't pray, who are really ungodly people, who kind of are like, hey, I've got this. I'll call you God, don't call me. I, I'm on top of it. Things are going well. I, I, I'm smart enough. I've got things figured out. I've got enough money to kind of have a little safe nest. And first, it says not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Second, it says do not stand in the way of sinners. And thirdly, it says do not sit in the seat of scoffers. And there is a downward spiral here. When you're walking, you're associating yourself with people that you shouldn't. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. It's not that we shouldn't be associating with everyone and all kinds of people at all levels of their faith walk. But I'm talking about people who are clearly against the Lord and His Word. People who hate the Lord. People who are putting the Lord and His Word down. People who are clearly antagonistic and hatred, hatred towards the Lord and His Word and His people. And that's why it says, do not walk among them. Do not associate with them. We know that there are um, people like that out there. And we should be a about we should be people who avoid going and getting counsel and wisdom and guidance from people like that and we still do that we still do that you know why 
Well, part of it is because sometimes we want to go to the people who will tell us exactly what we want to hear. Do you ever do that? Are you often seeking out people who will give you what you want to hear? You know, hey, I've got to make a decision. So rather than seeking out godly wisdom and people, you go to people who you know think like you and who will give you what you want to hear. And so you keep going until you get to that person. Until you hear what you want to hear. Friends, I want to tell you something. Young people who can hear me, listen. Choose godly friends who will speak truth to you, not just what you want to hear. So let me come to standing. The next place we find uh, this person is standing in the way of sinners. Finding the wrong counsel leads you to hang out with the wrong people and now is knowingly stopping and lingering and associating with the people that he shouldn't be with. That's a real thing. That happens. When we receive bad counsel, it will lead to other kinds of conduct. And through that downward spiral, you know what happens next? Next, you're sitting. You're sitting in the seat of scoffers. You're a fixture in the presence there. And you know what that kind of shows me? You're getting comfortable. Now you're the one giving that advice. Now you're the one who's thinking the same thing. Now you're the one who's saying, hey, it's okay to do this. You're making yourself at home with them. No longer seeking godly counsel. Now that person is the counselor scoffing at those who spend their time trusting the Lord and His Word. How are your friendships and relationships? I'm a firm believer that we need to get out of the walls of the church and interact with unbelievers. Listen! Go to the people who serve you. Your oil change place. Your grocery clerk. Have conversations. Know their names. I think I know all the employees at Costco. I'm there often enough and every once in a while I seek out one of the ones that I've talked to before and say, hey, how's it going? Have you been home yet? There's a young lady who's from Jackson, New Jersey, home of Six Flags. And every time I see her at Costco, I ask her, hey, have you been to Jackson recently? And we have a conversation. We talk a little bit more. and We get to know. I get to know them. So do not avoid people who are different than you at different levels of your, their faith walk. But choose wisely who you are getting life advice and guidance and counsel from. Because... Itching ears will go to the ones who will give you what you want to hear. Who will say, it's okay. Everybody's doing this. It's fine. No. I want to, at this moment, just kind of go into an area here that I think you need to hear. The sad and devastating downward spiral leads to sin. And I want you to hear this. Sin is not your friend. The devil hates you. You have an enemy. And it wants to destroy you and it will destroy you. It will destroy you. It doesn't just want to destroy you apart from Christ.
If you're struggling today with some kind of sin and you know that it's pulling you down, you need to beware and you need to take heed of what that is. Don't downplay it. It could be images on a screen. It could be pornography. It could be money things that you're not doing properly. It could be gossip. And if there is something that's getting control of your life and you recognize it, take heed today. Sin is not your friend. It wants to destroy you. And it will kill you. Apart from Christ. Let me go a bit further. Some of us keep sin in the drawer. We take it out and play with it. And say, it's okay, I can put it back. I'm safe. I know how to shut it. It's not how it works. You can't control it. It controls you. And there's always damage. Sin's aim is to destroy your soul. It's bent on destroying you. And so when you have the desire to hold on to it, put it away, hide it under the clothes in the drawers, beware that you will not survive. You will not survive the judgment day. So, sin offers a false hope and a false assurance of real joy. You're not going to be blessed. It's going to be the opposite. You're going to be destroyed. And there is a judgment to come. And so, let me come now to the person who delights in the Lord in His Word and meditates on God's Word because that is the person who is joyful, who is fulfilled, and as the Word says, is blessed. It's ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. And by the way, when the Scripture here talks about the law of the Lord, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, it is not just talking about the Ten Commandments. It is not just talking about the Pentateuch. It is talking about the whole of Scripture. That phrase is used several times in the Word of God to describe all of the Scriptures, the whole counsel of God, including the Ten Commandments, including the Pentateuch. But His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. So this is um, that, that second point that I shared. Those who receive the Lord and delight in His Word. And it says in verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. So I just want to uh, think on this for a few minutes on those who receive the Word and those who love the Lord. Is that you? Do you know what meditation is? Because this psalm is really about being in the Lord all the way. Otherwise, you really don't know how to pray. Otherwise, you're really just like the person that I said is shooting flares. Someone out there, I don't really know who you are. I don't really know much about you. 
But here's what I want you to do. Or are you someone who is entrenched in God? You know God. You know His character. You know His, His attributes. You are deeply rooted in God. That is the person that meditates. So you know when we talk about meditating on the Word of God, you've all heard that, right? Maybe a spiritual discipline. Meditating isn't just memorizing a verse and saying it over and over again in your mind. It is a heart being affected because of the intense use of the mind. It is when Scripture meets the road and becomes believed in. It is when it sinks in. It is when it becomes part of your being. It is part of your life. You believe it. You love it. You are delighting in it. That's what meditation is. It's not just knowing a verse and keep saying it over and over again. Oh, if I keep reading and reading and saying it over and over again, God's going to prosper me in all my business affairs and all my family affairs. No. Meditation is knowing God and His mind, His heart, His Word, and then letting it come into you until it affects your heart. Let me say it again. The affecting of the heart through an intense use of the mind so that it is no longer just understanding up here. It is belief down here and it affects your whole being. It affects your whole soul. And you're, you're in the Lord. You are entrenched. You're always thinking about Him and what He wants and how He loves you. Is that true of you? Delighting in the Lord like that. But His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that He does, He prospers. I just have to go very quickly into this for a moment. You ever seen trees that are near water? You ever seen trees in the deep woods? You ever seen trees in Texas? <laughs> Go sometime on vacation by trees that are planted by water and you look at it and you're like, wow, vibrant, green. Even if they're not evergreen, they're just vibrant with, you could tell. And here's where I'm going with this. A tree that is planted by streams of water are ones that have roots that go deeper and deeper and deeper through the years. Even through droughts. But because they're near the water, when the drought comes, the, deep, the, the roots actually go even deeper looking for the water. And they're always touching the water. They're always in touch with the water. And so they always sustain. They stay strong. Even if a storm comes through, and even if a drought comes through, the roots through the trials and tribulations of the storms have gone deeper and deeper and deeper because they know there's water there and they're touching the water. Is that you? Is that me? Or when storms come, 
we don't sustain, we're not fruitful, we're not vibrant. The vitality that you see shows that they're healthy, they're strong, their leaves are more green than the ones that we encounter in other places. And that's the person who is deeply rooted in the Word of God. That even though there's a drought, even though bad things come, because they will come, even though you're going through problems, the roots are touching the water because they've learned to go deeper and deeper down. You're going to stand. You ever seen palm trees? You know, India has palm trees. When I've gone with my mom and dad, I used to remember palm trees and coconut trees. But you've seen this in Florida too. They can bend to like 40 degrees and still be strong. That's what we are called to be like. And one of the things that we are shown is when we are deeply rooted in these streams of water, we will have godly wisdom to be aware and to see the dangerous downward spiral that we mentioned before, walking, standing, and sitting, and what the evil one does. Can I give you just a quick glimpse, a quick glimpse of the devil's way with us? And to beware his schemes. And this is maybe a little summary of how the evil one works to destroy us. We're in a battle with the enemy who never quits fighting against us because he hates us. He wants to destroy us. So first he'll come to us and he'll tickle your ears with the things you want to hear. Then he'll convince us to do the things we know we shouldn't do. And then we'll go ahead and do them. And then once we've done it, you know what he does? He circles back around, exposes your guilt, and makes you feel shameful, and then tells us into our ears that we're worthless and not suitable for God and His love and forgiveness. That's how He does it. He has a plan. He has a scheme. He gets it into us, makes us do what we don't want to do, and then exposes our guilt and shame and tells us God does not love you. You're not suitable for the Lord. And that's how He begins to destroy us. Are you a people that has that kind of deep-rootedness? I hate to do this, but I'm going to quote the Lord of the Rings. You guys know I love the Lord of the Rings, but I've made enough comments where, you know, you know that I, I think there are other movies out there. You can't just be watching the Lord of the Rings all the time, but there's so many good things in there, isn't it? One of my favorite characters was a character named Pippin. You remember Pippin? I used to, even in the movie, watch Pippin's face. Of course, it's just an actor. It's not as vivid as the imagery that we get through the books. But there is a scene where palpable darkness is descending over Middle-earth and the splintered fellowship is driving east toward Mordor and this hobbit named Pippin looks at Gandalf. I always used to love the way Pippin would look at Gandalf. He would look at Gandalf's face and try to read He would be in awe of Gandalf and in wonder of Gandalf, but also trusting in Gandalf, that Gandalf would somehow rescue them or help them and so forth. 
Listen to this. Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own. For the sound of that laugh that had been gay and merry. Yet in the wizard's face he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow. Remember what they were up against, right? So Pippin's looking into Gandalf's face, trying to read it. Hey, is he worried? Are we doomed? (laughs) Yet in the wizard's face he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow, though as he looked, though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth, Listen to this. Enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. In the wizard's face, he saw at first only lines of care and sorrow, though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth, enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. Isn't that so amazing? On the outside, there's always lines of sorrow and care. But underneath, there is a deep joy that could set the whole kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. Do you have that fountain of mirth? Do you have that that depth of joy that really can't be taken away with circumstances? I'm going to tell you something as we kind of finish up here. You know what the stream of water is? It is obviously the law of the Lord, which is perfect and righteous altogether, but it is Jesus Himself. The stream of water is Jesus Himself. It is the stream of water that is life-giving, the one who stood at the well with the Samaritan woman and said, do you want to have water where you'll never thirst again? I am the living water. And you see, what you get when you delight in the law of the Lord is not just Scripture verses, it is the message of the whole Bible, which is Christ. His life that you couldn't live and His death that you couldn't have died and the perfect redemption because of an amazing love. It is the gospel story. It is the gospel message that is the stream where your roots are going down into. Friends, I I don't know how else to say this is you get eyes to see Jesus and you get Him. That's what the Word of God is. There's one scarlet thread throughout all of the Scriptures, and you have heard that in our church. It all points to the Son of God and the redemption that is found in Him. The book of Exodus is a pointing to the One who is the ultimate Redeemer, right? Joseph is a type of one who saves his brethren and says, come and live with me and I will prepare a house for you and you will live with me forever and one day I will be back for you. All of the Scriptures point to Christ. And He is the central being. He is the central person. He is the one who is the stream of water and that's what you get. It's the Gospel. 
I'm quickly running out of time, but I'm going to take five more minutes. The Bible is not a reference book like my Toyota manual that sits in the glove box and I hardly ever take it out when the windshield wiper is not working. It's not a reference book. It is the life-giving source to understand God and His love for you. And most especially to understand His Son. Brothers and sisters, read your Bible. Study your Bible. Have eyes to see what God is telling you that He loves you enough to die for you and so His Son did. That is what it is. It is not like some manual that we just go and use every once in a while. Let me just quickly go to the next few points. The third point is this. It's critical. It's life and death. And let me highlight it by saying this. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Let me also read 6b. But the way of the wicked will perish. Why do I say that it's critical? Do you have friends who do not know this Savior? Do you have family members? Do you have neighbors? Do you realize that without knowing the Word and seeing Christ, there is an urgency to our prayers? There should be an urgency to our involvement in missions. There should be an urgency to our giving to the work of the Lord. And there should be an urgency, listen, people here at our church, to being part of the mission and the vision of Trinity Presbyterian Church. You aren't here just to be fed on Sunday mornings or to go to Sunday school class. There is an urgency to supporting the mission and vision of our church that loves God's Word and cares for those who are dying out there. That's why we do things like Vacation Bible School. That's why we send people from our church to do missions. Listen, how many of you pray that your children would give their lives to missions? Yeah, I'm scared. But that's what the prayer book is calling us to. Hey, there is an urgency to all this. There is one path that leads to eternal joy and peace and the other one that leads to very to the very judgment of God himself. Do you sense the urgency and the need for the word of hope and the good news message for all those who are lost in your life? Finally, I'm going to tell you that the Word should be trusted as God should be trusted. Look at the first part of verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You know how we can be bold for missions? Do you know how we can be bold with the mission and vision of the church? Do you know how we can be bold and care and pray for those who are lost? By trusting the Word. By trusting the Savior who gives the Word. And I'm going to have to sum it up by saying it this way. Do you realize what the psalmist is saying? That the Lord knows you? He has you? He's keeping you? He has plans for you? He's provided all that you will need? 
I love how Psalm 16 puts it. I, I, I had it pulled out earlier. It's, it, I think it says this. Listen to this. Psalm 16. I'll read this very, very quickly. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That's what He knows is ahead for you, His children. How about Psalm 139? You know me. You have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. The Lord knows you. Yes, the Lord knows you. Exactly where you are. And even when you are His enemies, He loved you. But God commends His love towards you in this, that while you were enemies, Christ died for you. That is the Holy Gospel. That is the Holy Scriptures. And I have to finish by sharing one more psalm here, and then I'll, I'll close. One more minute. Listen to this. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Verse 18, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Do you know that that psalm, Psalm 22, is very well known as a messianic psalm? Many of you know that, right? Meaning, it is what Jesus knew and used from the cross. So I'm going to leave you with these parting thoughts. you know how we can do this? Do you know how we can be bold? you know how we can be in the Word and never give up and continue to be soaking in the Lord and His Word? you know how we can do that? By putting all our hope and trust in Christ who is the key. Jesus bled the Scriptures. And that is why even on the cross as He was dying, His words were Psalm 22. And then finally, I would have you think this. What does it mean that He was dried up? What does it mean that He was despised and forsaken? I think it means He became chaff on the cross. I think He means that He became the wicked and the punishment of the wicked and the chaff that gets blown away. He became so that we can be the real. The grain that is on the inside of the chaff. He became all of that and in fact became thirsty so that you and I could have living water. Do you realize that Jesus is the key to all of that for us? My brothers and sisters, as I finish, I entrust God's Word to you. I entrust the Gospel message to you. And I urge you to get your roots deep, deep down into God's Word. Make a plan. Make a time. So that when the storm comes, there will be a fountain of mirth that can set the whole kingdom laughing. This is God's holy word. Let's pray.
I do thank You, Lord, for Psalm 1, and I know that there's so much more riches to come as we dive in further and further. Lord, I love You. And I thank You that You have loved us and given us Your Son, the Lord Jesus, the perfect prayer and singer of the Psalms. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.